Hey everyone, it's Juad here with Hit the Apex Podcast. As always, it's April the 18th, it's Thursday, 11.32am AEST. That was a bit unnecessary, but anyway. Um, yeah, it's after a big weekend of motorsport, got plenty to talk about to go over this week as well, got Easter coming up, so I'm just glad to get some time off as well, a little bit of a long weekend exciting so yeah and big weekend of racing just gone past the chinese grand prix the 1000th race even though it was a bit of a doozy in the end supercars and just so much more that i'll talk about later on but yeah going to the chinese grand prix i guess the thousand grand prix all hyped up and everything and in the end it was a bit of a doozy of a race as we saw mercedes match uh that record from Williams in 1992 for three consecutive one-two finishes at the start of the season. Um, really didn't think or, you know, I guess no one really thought that th- this would be the case. First three races of 2019 after the kind of pre-season we had that Mercedes would have had one-two finishes in the first three races. But I guess, as Ross Braun says, we can't really read much into it because of how there's more races now than there was in 1992, for example. You get more points as well, all the way down to 10th. Um, So perhaps that record, you know, it's probably not as indicative of what the championship may look like this season yet. It's not good given that, you know, Mercedes have got both drivers on top in the Drivers' Championship and then they're on top in the Constructors' Championship. But, you know... There's still plenty of races to go and plenty left to unfold this season. So it was Bottas that was on pole position, but Lewis Hamilton beat him off the line and just basically went untroubled into the race. Such was Mercedes' dominance that during their second round of pit stops, they actually pitted both guys at the same time, you know, a double stack done to perfection. And at the time, I was just like, now, come on, that's just showing off here. But I guess that just shows you how strong this team is, that they can pull off a double stack like that without anyone losing out. And, you know, two pit stops on top of each other, two, you know, basically two lots of four sets of tyres or whatever. Um, you know, it's a, it's a pretty mean feat and credit to all the, the guys down at the well, the people down at Mercedes for being able to pull that off. It just goes to show you how much of a team sport this is and that the dominance on track is not just to do with the drivers but also all the magic that happens in the pit lane as well with the the crews and also the strategists as well choosing the right time to come in. So, you know, while it was all rosy for Mercedes out the front, perfect weekend for them, 1-2 finish again. Ferrari just... They just struggled all weekend to match the pace of those guys, the Silver Arrows. And, you know, I guess the big talking point coming out of the weekend was the controversy in regards to the team orders. Now, coming into the season, obviously Ferrari with a new driver in Charles Leclerc, young driver, expected to perhaps, you know, ruffle a few feathers. And it didn't take long, I guess, for Ferrari to want to employ the team orders to get Sebastian Vettel, who they see as their championship hope, ahead in the standings or whatever, or on track. But it didn't really work out for them anyway, because even though Leclerc 
jumped Seb on the start, was quicker in that part, and then Seb was tucked up behind him and they thought he was quicker and told Leclerc to let Sebastian through. Seb didn't really pull away from Leclerc in the end or make much of an impact on the on the two Mercedes guys ahead. So in the end, it was a bit of a wasted decision and this left Ferrari a bit red-faced on the pit wall and also Leclerc was unhappy throughout the entire race saying, you know, that was you basically compromised my race here, all for what? Just for third in the end for Sebastian Vettel, not not even being able to challenge for second, not having the race pace either, and also what could have been a potential third and fourth for Ferrari went to being a third and fifth because Max Verstappen behind and the cunning Red Bull team decided to undercut uh, Leclerc and thought that they could split the Ferraris, which they did successfully, so... Verstappen again finishing in in fourth place and getting those handy points for Red Bull, but yeah, Leclerc then having to having made his stops a lot later than what Verstappen and Vettel and the Mercedes guys did. You know, in the end, didn't have the laps he would have liked to have closed down Verstappen, so he had the quicker tyres at the end of the race um, on the medium compound, but just didn't have enough laps to catch up and I guess just didn't have the pace either so you know at that point it's like well let's just save all the power unit componentry and not try to overcook the car but just disappointing the way that that all turned out and I know there's been talk all throughout the year so far about the team orders and when they'll be employed even Matteo Bonotto the Ferrari boss has said you know in the 50-50 situations, it's going to be Seb who's going to be favoured in this first part of the season until, you know, they reach a point where they can be convinced against doing that. Um, but given from what given what we saw from Leclerc and Bahrain, you know, we would have thought that they should perhaps put their eggs in the, the shower basket. But, you know, at the moment... No, that's not the case, and they've left their new driver pretty unhappy as a result of it, and, you know, it's got that whole Felipe Fernando is faster than you vibe about it too, and in a way, it just it just shows you the contrast between Mercedes and Ferrari. I know Mercedes copped a lot of flack last year for their handling of, of the team orders with Valtteri Bottas, but... More often than not, they get their strategy calls right, and it's only the off day that they don't. I mean, there's a team, there is a team that is so used to winning that they can pull off stuff like this that they did this weekend with the double stacking and not having either driver lose out. Whereas Ferrari, who they were used to winning once upon a time, are almost afraid to to bite the bullet and do something a bit out there and also they're so conservative with their strategy you know rather than trying to get a maximum result with two cars because obviously in a constructors championship you get your results from both cars um rather than that they just seem to put their eggs into one basket and hope for the best and that's not just something recently that they've been doing i mean you go back to i already said it fernando is faster than you you go back to when Fernando Alonso was at Ferrari with Felipe Massa, how it was always the one driver favoured and, you know, you'd never have Ferrari vying for a Constructors' Championship at all. So, yeah, um, we said this 
a lot last year too, and that's how I feel in regards to this, is just Ferrari almost seemed scared to, to bite the bullet and to actually employ that winning culture. Like, it's only going to come if they take risks and everything, which, you know, it doesn't seem they're doing. Instead, everything that they do, whether it's strategically or on track, it just seems to backfire. And I understand that this weekend, generally, they did not have the race pace to match Mercedes, um, you know, Mercedes quicker through the corners, they don't have the straight line speed, but at a circuit like China, going through the corners is probably more important, and that's where they'd pull away, and also perhaps on the tyres, they weren't as great either, Ferrari, so, you know, on those weekends, still, getting a third and a fourth is important, but the fact that it turned into a third and a fifth is what is really disappointing, and, you know, I think this is going to be a big narrative going forwards is how Ferrari manage Charles Leclerc, how do they manage the internal the internal stuff, which again is just disappointing because you don't want a team like Ferrari who should be fighting Mercedes for the championship to be too caught up with its own internal struggles. I thought, you know, coming into this year, the changes that they've made as far as management is concerned... Everyone seemed a lot happier with Bonotto coming on board as the team principal as well. Um, they're a lot more open with the media now too, which they weren't under the previous regime or whatever. And of course, a new driver in Charles Leclerc, you know, injecting a bit of youth into the team as well and not just being a, a pushover from what we've seen. Yeah, he doesn't want to be that number two driver, but he's really working for it. But Ferrari aren't really working towards him at the moment which is the the thing that sucks in this situation so moving forwards it is concerning yeah that Mercedes have won three races in a row first three races of the season and also had one two finishes in all of them but yeah, you know, Ferrari had the pace over the off-season. They were quickest in pre-season testing. They have the resources there to be able to to develop their car the way, you know, the, to bring them back towards the front. But time will run out, you know. Like, yeah, it's still early in the season. We can be a bit more relaxed and say if this was sort of we're at the mid-season break, but... We're already three races into the championship. Before you know it, we'll be six races in, nine races in, mid-season break. There you go. So they've got a win coming up. We're coming up to Baku next weekend. They've not really been too strong there in the past, but they're going to have to pull something out of the hat there in Baku. And, of course, Barcelona, where you're going to expect them to be really strong given that the, the pre-season form that they had there. Um, yeah, one of those two races that they've got to win just to be able to remind everyone that, you know, they're going to be in this championship. Otherwise, yeah, just the way that it's going at the moment, um, it's all Mercedes. But having said that, I'm not trying to be negative or anything about it. You know, oh, it's going to be another Mercedes ball fest, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, China is a bit, uh, China was a bit, bit of a doozy and everything, I'm kind of glad we didn't have to, uh, um, didn't have to stay up late for that one, it was in the four o'clock in the afternoon, but yeah, you know, it wasn't the most exciting race, but at the same time, I'm sure Mercedes can put on a bit of entertainment if it's just going to be them in this championship, but at the same time, yeah, Ferrari need to get their act together um, and win one of the next three races or all of them, 
ideally, you know, to get on an even playing field because, yeah, you know, Seb only scored his first podium of the season in China with that third. Um, Leclerc, you know, possibly could have finished on the podium. Third probably was the best that they could have done over the weekend. So, you know, for one car to do that, that's great. But, yeah, to have that fourth and turn it into a fifth is is the thing that really, I think, everyone is a bit annoyed about, as well as Leclerc, too, given that, you know, the team orders didn't really, couldn't really be justified, given the fact that Seb didn't have the pace to actually pull away and start attacking the cars ahead, so they should have just left it as status, you know, should have left the status quo and potentially helped Leclerc out with a better strategy because then, yeah, Verstappen came back to to undercut them and was ahead for the rest of the race. And to make matters worse for Ferrari, um, Seb had the fastest lap sewn up for most of the race, but he had that stripped away from him too um, on the second last lap because Pierre Gasly, he was <coughs> running in sixth throughout most of the race, a bit of a lonely race for him down in sixth, but had basically a free pit stop in hand, he had enough of a gap ahead of the car in P7, came in, put on the soft tyres and just gunned for the fastest lap and, um, sorry if you could hear someone trying to call me (laughs) while I'm recording, um, yeah, so Gasly had the free pit stop, bolted on the soft tyres and basically was able to go for fastest lap, which obviously if you finish in the top 10 this year and you get that fastest lap, you get that extra world championship point. So, um, and it was actually quite good to see that, you know, there was that talk about whether we're going to see drivers throughout the season, if they're in the top 10 and they've got time in hand or whatever, that they would come in and pit and go for the fastest lap. So an extra point there for Gasly to pick up, who, again, Pierre Gasly, unfortunately, not the greatest start to his career at Red Bull. Um, Still hasn't really adapted to the... Red Bull chassis, RB15, um, bit of talk, you know, more attention on Alexander Albon, who I'll talk about shortly, but yeah, Gasly not really impressive so far, but then again, you know, he's got a pretty big yardstick there with him as a teammate in Verstappen, but you know, Red Bull, you, both drivers and over the last few years, Verstappen, Ricardo have been race winners, have been podium podium getters as well so you'd expect Gasly to to get in the mix soon as well if he doesn't if not winning races you know to be finishing on the podium on the odd occasion when Red Bull can mix it so you know sixth I guess yeah solid result but you know for Red Bull you'd expect a bit more performance and especially given that he was quite lonely down in sixth as well could have come back at uh at Leclerc in fifth so yeah, we'll see how he develops over the season. Given you know, like and last year fourth in Bahrain, what a good result in a Toro Rosso too with a unproven Honda engine. So that's where I guess the expectation was there on Gasly that he would be this amazing driver. So early days yet, but you know he still needs to have some improvement, I guess. Um, first points for Daniel Ricciardo, I guess something to celebrate there. Lonely race for him in P7. Um, Nico Hulkenberg, unfortunately, another retirement for Renault. It's just pretty horrible, their unreliability so far this season. And given the fact that they've been 
doing these hybrid engines since they came on board in 2014, you'd have thought that they'd have the reliability thing fixed by now. You know, Honda, you could still excuse given that, you know, they've came in a year after everyone and have been on the back foot since. But Honda have been pretty reliable so far this season. It's Renault that have been the worst so far. So, you know, are we going to see Renault, the factory team, start taking engine penalties and all that sort of stuff? soon i guess the seventh for ricardo just good for confidence and also to get some points on the board too um given that the rotten luck he had at the end of last year at red bull and also the first two races this year was pretty devastating and even for renault customers mclaren you know carlos Sainz we've seen has had quite a few reliability issues already so far this season last time out in bahrain it was disappointing and then of course in australia too so that's going to be another big story this year, Renault reliability. Given the fact that they are gunning for fourth in the Constructors' Championship, they want to be a team that can finish on the podium, which is something that Renault as a factory team, since becoming the factory team again in 2016, have not achieved a podium. You know, you got all your independents, um, well, not all of them, but the likes of Force India, who are the only other independent team and Williams who've finished on the podium in the hybrid era. So Haas, you know, still a young team, I guess. They can be excused for not being there just yet. But, you know, you'd think Renault, a factory team, would be able to get themselves up there. And, yeah, they've got to do something quick because, yeah, the gap to the top teams is still pretty big. And Red Bull and Honda, you know, they've been quietly chipping away and they look pretty solid at the moment a lot more solid than Renault so yeah you know it's always gonna it was always going to be something that was going to be talked about a lot given that Ricardo left Red Bull as well Renault left Red Bull um as, as a engine supplier so yeah early days but at the same time you want to start seeing results on the board you start you want to start seeing the reliability there. They're able to run a race distance and competitively too. But yeah, at the moment for Renault, not really there. So we'll just have to see. Baku, a lot of people talking about Baku potentially being a crazy race as always. Could Renault be in contention for a podium perhaps? We'll just have to wait and see. It's, you know not going to say anything until we actually see what happens on race day. For all we know, both Renaults could crash out on the first lap at Baku. Not that I'm trying to jinx them at all. I wouldn't want that, but, you know, I'd love it if it was a Renault 1-2 finish. Touch, touching wood. Um, but, yeah, you know, we've just got to manage expectations and see how they roll out um, come the Baku race weekend. So elsewhere in the midfield, we had differing strategies, which kind of made it a bit interesting. Sergio Perez, Racing Point, you know, they're well known for making a tyre go the distance and beyond, and he was able to hold off Kimi Raikkonen for eighth in the end. Kimi coming back on the hard tyres um, later in the race, couldn't really get past Checo. So, you know, Racing Point, so kind of flying under the radar this season, but you can kind of excuse them for that, you know, even though we know that they've got more cash in the bank, they can develop a lot more than they did previously. They, you know, are a bit more cautious, I guess. And, you know, we've always known them to be a team that just punches above their weight and everything. And 
you know, so far it's it's not like it's a disaster or anything. So, you know, they're scoring points every race so far with one driver. Um, Stroll, unfortunately, not up there this time. But Checo, Checo sorry, is always there. And Kimi, again, unfortunately being denied a, a better position. But still, you know, Valfa Romeo scoring points. Kimi's been pretty solid so far. And, you know, quick shout out, I guess, to Kimi saying, you know, he's... F1's like a hobby to him now that he's stepped back from the, the, I guess, the big shoes at Ferrari and everything's a bit more relaxed there at Alfa Romeo and, you know, things are just, yeah, a lot better for him. So it's good to see a happy Kimi if, you know, if that's actually a, a thing that exists, Kimi Raikkonen happy, but um, yeah, you know, good on him and good on the team too and I'm sure Giovinazzi as well will get there in the points someday soon so I mentioned Alex Albon at the top there before when talking about Pierre Gasly and Albon you wouldn't have said this on on Saturday after he crashed out in the end of practice three that didn't even do qualifying team had to rebuild the chassis overnight but he finished as the driver voted for driver of the day for his drive from pit lane to position 10 in the end. Single stop strategy, he made it work. He was able to hold hold off Roman Grosjean at the end, who was on much faster tyres after that second stop. And, you know, you would have thought that, wow, you know, he couldn't have held on to that position, but he just did. And to score the point there as well, um, Alwan... Again, another guy who's flown under the radar so far this season, but now people are starting to notice and talk about him, which is good because, you know, he probably wasn't going to be on the F1 grid this year, but, you know, sort of came in at the last minute, you know, obviously with Brennan Hartley getting kicked out and everything, not really putting in the performances last year, and Red Bull not really having the talent pool it seems to be able to replace their drivers like they used to on a, at a rate of knots, you know, so relying on another, a, another Red Bull reject essentially to come in and fill the, fill the hole, hole left by Hartley. Kafiat, unfortunately, um, poor race for him, Un, uh, you know, getting that tag as the torpedo back, which he did obviously famously in 2016 in China with Sebastian Vettel, but yeah, this time it was both the McLarens he was involved uh, involved with on the first lap, um, sandwiched, I guess Carlos Sainz was a sandwich, Lando Norris got a bit um, got a bit airborne there and it ruined, I guess, all of their races, races in a way, Kvyat retired later on, he had a penalty to serve too for his role in that incident even though it was a bit unfair, first lap, racing incident, it could have easily been branded, but you know they had to give Kvyat a drive-through penalty, and um, Lando Norris retired too from the race, ending his little impressive run that he's had for the first part of the season, and then Carlos Sainz survived, but was a lap down in the end and wasn't anywhere near the points, so (coughs) sad day for those guys, but quickly with Albon, you know, He's been pretty, you know, he's been pretty good so far this season. A lot of people started making fun of him, I guess, after he had the crash in preseason testing. And then, of course, in during one of the practice sessions in Melbourne as well, they're like, who's this guy? But, you know, he's a guy who, Lando Norris, when he was doing his karting and everything, um, had a poster of Alex Albon on his bedroom wall. So he, even though they're not much older than each other, um, 
you know, Norris had a poster of Albon in his bedroom wall. It's like, he's my idol um, doing go-karting. It's like, okay, that's, that's pretty cool, pretty humbling, I'm sure, for Albon. But that's the kind of character Albon is, just very quiet, very humble kind of character. Almost seems like he's uh, taken aback by or blown away by the fact that, yeah, he's in Formula 1, just a bit doughy-eyed and everything, where, you know, you see some drivers are, like, you know, very... I don't want to see... I'll say it, you know, they're a bit stiff and everything. It's like... And you get that sense of entitlement from them, whereas you see guys like Albon and Esteban Ocon as well, where they... They've just got that hum sense of humility about them, which is really, just from a human perspective, is very refreshing to see. And really refreshing to see in, in young people too. Like, you notice that there's a lot of stiffness out there, a lot of wankers basically saying, I'm just shooting from the hip here, a lot of wankers out there who just have that sense of entitlement about everything, not just in Formula One, not just in motorsport, but in any sport. Um, and just in general so to have guys like that on a world stage you know especially when you you're on a grid with the guy likes of Lewis Hamilton Sebastian Vettel Kimi Raikkonen all world champions you know seeing these young guys come in with that sense of humility and everything and with proper talent as well that's probably the key word to underline here as well they're not pay drivers or whatever just making up the numbers they're actually there to impress and we all know the story about Ocon unfortunately not on the grid this year but he said on the the Martin Brundle's grid walk or whatever in China that he's actually going to benefit from a year on the sidelines but also working closely with Mercedes in different departments and seeing how the team works so you know Toto Wolff I'm sure will ensure that his boy Ocon will be on the grid next year in anything. Um, he'd hope that it was a Mercedes, but if Bottas does a good job this year, you know, you can't really turf him. And Lewis Hamilton's not ready to retire either. So, you know, that might be a bit of a conundrum. But yeah, you'd hope that um, Ocon's on the grid for next year. And as for Albon too, solid start to his career, you know, like... Especially, you know, Toro Rosso, Red Bull, it's pretty cutthroat, that environment. And if he does impress, you know, other teams out there, you know, potentially we could see him move on elsewhere and that would be good. He's a driver that should have a long-term future in F1. So, yeah, really like what I'm seeing so far from Albon. Same with Norris. George Russell too, unfortunately, who has his hands tied behind his back because of Williams's performances. But doing a solid job as far as beating his teammate is concerned so yeah you know hopefully we'll see more from those guys and more good things to come well moving from f1 and china to v8 supercars and phillip island phillip island super sprint back-to-back weekends from tassie the week before and you know came as no surprise <laughs> even after all the parody debates and the center of gravity changes and blah 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 that DJR Team Penske, Shell V Power Racing came out and blew the competition out of the water this weekend. Scotty McLaughlin, King of the Island once again, his seventh win of 2019, tenth pole at the venue, 
and eight consecutive pole positions for him there. He's still got the championship lead over his teammate Fabian Coulthard. Um, didn't all work out for him, unfortunately, over the weekend with the Sunday race, I guess, losing time in transit in the, I think it was the outlap that he lost a bit of time and let his teammate basically take the um, position there, but still finishing second. And then, of course, winning the Saturday race, solid weekend for Scotty. And, you know, all that talk, all that talk about the fact that the center of gravity might hurt these guys and, you know, Holden just did it so they could take their advantage back. No, not the case at all. It just means that Shelby Power Racing just has the better car at the moment, regardless of whether they had the ballast at the bottom of the car or the top of the car now. They've got 27 kilos extra. They just seem to have a strong race car and qualifying car. Well-balanced, no issues. Even in a venue like Tassie where, you know, Ford no normally doesn't do as well as the Holdens, um, and particularly Triple Eight, um, they actually came out, won a race. They were on the podium with Coulthard on both both races there, and now they've come out and won both races at Phillip Island. So, you know, what are you going to say about that? What are the critics going to say in regards to that? Um, Jamie Wincup, unfortunately, the wheels literally did fall off for him over the weekend. Front right fell off on the 14th lap in the, the Saturday race. Um, it led to just a... A poor finish, they had poor qualifying, no pace in the race, I guess on the Sunday race, Van Gisbergen finished in the top 10, but, you know, just seemed to be nowhere, like, there's other Holden teams that are quicker at the moment, Brad Jones racing looked really strong on Sunday, um, and we saw both Tim Slade and Nick Perkat on track together, having a bit of a skirmish, so uh, a nice problem to have over there, and given the fact that Triple Eight has been the benchmark Holden team for some time. It's almost refreshing to see guys like Erebus coming forward. Um, Brad Jones Racing as well was strong at the Grand Prix. GRM, I'm sure, will come good soon with their driver lineup that they have. And, of course, Team 18. I talked about them last week after their podium, or their near miss with the podium in Tassie and the pole position that they got with Mark Winterbottom. So, yeah, you know... Where did Triple Eight go? I think this whole linear spring thing has probably hurt them a lot more than one would have expected. And even with these changes in center of gravity and taking that advantage away from the Ford teams, um, yeah, like it's hurt, you know, it's hurt Tickford a bit more, but it just seems that, yeah, Shell V Power Racing just have the right car for all scenarios. And unfortunately, Triple Eight just, yeah, the single spring thing has hurt them pretty badly. So whether they can recover soon from this, it's a long season and they usually do come into their stride sort of in the, the middle part of the year when we go to the top end, whether it's um, in Darwin, Townsville and Queensland Raceway as well. Um, they do usually come good, but yeah, at the moment it's... Uh, the Ford team that is pretty dominant and in particular Shell V Power Racing. So yeah, Coulthard sna snapping his winless streak, which was good to see too. Um, hadn't won a race since Winton last year actually, and that was his only win in 2018. So, you know, Coulthard looking a lot more 
promising this season, going back to that form he had in 2017 where he was absolutely in the championship as a contender until the final round. So, you know, he's been solid. He's sitting second in the championship at the moment. And, you know, just winning a race early in the season is going to give him the confidence that he can probably do it again. And, you know, Coulthard's no slouch, you know, obviously coming up to venues like Winton again. We go to Perth first for the um, night race there. But Winton, you know, Coulthard's been very strong in the past. Also, when he was driving for Brad Jones as well, they were quite good there. So, yeah, you know, it's good to see. It's refreshing to see Coulthard back on form and also giving his teammate a bit of trouble as he did on Sunday where, you know, Scotty made the error and it was Coulthard that came out and took the win there. Um, as far as Holden teams are concerned, though, Refreshing, of course, to see um, Erebus on the podium again, and it's, it was actually Anton Di Pasquale who broke through for his first podium in supercars, third in the Sunday race, um, had a good start from fourth, um, jumping ahead of Chaz Mostert straight away, Mostert unfortunately dropped back, finished I think fifth in the end, but Di Pasquale came under threat. I think at the end of the race, just with the tyres that he was on, but ultimately hung on, and in the end, I guess that was, it's vindication, you could say, given that we've seen a lot of good speed from Anton since he made his debut last year, but he's only had a best finish of seventh in his career, but yeah, just, you know, qualifying, he's been strong wherever he goes, he Obviously, the highlight so far was that top 10 shootout that he featured in at Bathurst and qualified fourth and then was running quite strongly in the race before they had issues. So, you know, getting that podium, definitely vindication for Anton and you can expect more from, from him this season, which will be good. You know, Erebus have a car that's capable of winning. They probably had a slower start to the season that they would have preferred uh, than they would have liked to have had. Um, we all thought that there'd be a dark horse for this championship and Reynolds would be winning races, which he hasn't yet, but don't count it out just yet. He will, I'm sure, come good. And they had the podium, of course, last time out in Tassie. So great job done from Erebus there and great to see a rookie, well, not a rookie, but a young driver in Anton actually getting up there and repaying the faith that was put in him by his team bosses and everything so great job there first podium for him over the weekend first podium too for Andre Andre Heimgartner well he was on the podium um, in the Enduros a couple of years ago with uh, Tim Slade but first solo podium for Heimgartner on the Saturday race um, putting the Nissan up there Nissan strong again at Phillip Island which like they were last year Rick Kelly finished seventh in that Saturday race while Heimgartner was on the podium so you know that Ultima good on those sort of circuits where you know you got long sweeping corners a lot of aero involved not a lot of horsepower needed but you know just the fact that <laughs> even the Nissan was quicker than Triple Eight over the weekend at times you know it would have made Triple Eight quite angry and again going to places like Winton where last year we did see Rick Kelly win in the Nissan there, um, we could probably see that same form again from Nissan this year, so good stuff from them there, but again, you know, it just shows you how far behind the eight ball that they've been with this Altima project, you know, they 
very rarely do appear on the podium. You would have thought by now they'd be regularly mixing it on the podium, even if they're not championship contenders. You know, they can do top fives and everything and top ten results, but it's just it's just not been for the Altima, unfortunately. But, you know, we'll see how they go, whether it sticks around for another year beyond this year. De Kelly Racing get a factory deal with another manufacturer, has been talked about, Kia and all that. Who knows? But yeah, you know, just seeing them on the podium again, top 10 results, pretty encouraging. So yeah, that's about it from Phillip Island. Um, and a couple of weeks now before we head to Perth for the night race. It's two night races, actually. So Friday night race and Saturday night race as well. So that'll be an interesting one to see. Now, because I'm not going to have the time to like individually break down what happened in these categories throughout the weekend, I'm just going to quickly breeze over them in what I call hitting the globe. It's it's pretty lame, I know. Um, but yeah, we had MotoGP, World Superbikes, IndyCar, Formula E, just so much to keep up with. I didn't actually get to watch all of them, unfortunately. I watched some highlights and whatnot um, just so I could be... I, I could see what happened rather than just reading a race report and trying to regurgitate what's come off that. But MotoGP, great race, of course, there in Texas. And great weekend, like, pretty emotional, I guess, with the um, ceremony for the retirement of Nicky Hayden's famous number 69 as well from MotoGP, uh, retiring that number, already a, a MotoGP legend. And, of course, coming up to the two-year anniversary of his uh, tragic passing, it was 22nd of May, so yeah, about a month off from that, but yeah, nice little gesture from MotoGP to, to do that as well, but great weekend anyway, because Mark Marquez, you know, obviously the mayor of Austin with six wins in a row, was he going to make it a seventh? We all thought so until he actually crashed out of the race. Like, that's probably the only way that you could beat Marquez here in Texas is if he crashes out. So he basically took himself out um, and left Valentino Rossi in the lead. Unfortunately, Rossi couldn't hold on to the lead for the rest of the race. And we had Suzuki's Alex Rins, who's been knocking on the door for some time now to actually win a a MotoGP race and he finally has so great win for for Alex Rins there beat Rossi Rossi finishing on the podium Jack Miller too first podium on a Ducati and a first podium since he um, won that race in Assen a few years ago so you know it would have been nice for him to break that drought and be on the podium there um, Davizioso was knocked out in Q1 over the weekend and had a bit of a tough race to come back and actually finish fourth but yeah it was a, a bit of a crummy weekend for Honda because Cal Crutchlow also crashed out Jorge Lorenzo still struggling to adapt to that bike and obviously Marquez crashing out um, was the big headline but Rins you know becoming the latest winner in MotoGP confirming I guess how Suzuki are going to be pretty strong this season as far as mixing it four wins here and there but as far as the championship is concerned, it's still pretty open and it just depends on who can get on a run and win some races. So Davizioso has got one in the bag. We've got um, Marquez who won last time out in Argentina dominantly and then now Texas won by Alex Rin. So how soon before Yamaha can win? You know, Maverick Vinales still having a couple of issues here and there, especially with the starts. 
Valentino Rossi, you know, can he, does he still have it to win races? The bike is so much better than last year and the fact that, you know, he's actually on the podium and second in the championship at the moment is is a positive sign. So heading, I guess, now into the European races, Jerez and Le Mans and all that, and to Rossi's home race in Mugello, it'll be quite interesting to see where Yamaha sit as a collective over there. World Superbikes now, not something that we normally have talked about and been following it a bit more closely this year because Jonathan Ray is not dominating and instead it's actually Alvaro Bautista who's dominating, who took his 10th straight win of the season um, and it's only been 10 races, so he's won 10 from 10 so far this season, so that's pretty crazy. It's it's And it's crazy to think that he's come out after the race and said that Ducati have not yet reached their full potential with this bike. So I'm sure that's going to leave the rest of the competition quivering in their boots. And especially Jonathan Ray, who's had such a strong stranglehold over superbikes over the last few years. He's won four championships in a row, I think on the Kawasaki and not really had any competition until now where Bautista's come and basically blown him out of the park. And Bautista, of course, you know, coming out of MotoGP last year and we really didn't get to see his full potential in MotoGP, which what we're seeing now here in Superbikes. And, you know, given that now he's had a lot more attention come on him because of his dominance in superbikes, he's basically said that if I was to go back to MotoGP, it would only be on a factory ride, and we saw him do that one-off factory gig with Ducati at Phillip Island last year when Jorge Lorenzo was injured, so, you know, great for him to come into this other, and let's be fair, superbikes is not one for the faint-hearted, it's had a lot of great riders in it in the past, you know, Carl Fogarty, of course, and Troy Bayless, guys like uh, Max Biaggi as well, um, when he wasn't being trounced by <laughs> Valentino Rossi in MotoGP, so, you know, Superbikes is a competitive championship, you got some big names in there at the moment too, and, you know, for Bautista to come and basically mop the floor with Jonathan Ray, it's a pretty big statement, so great to see, and we'll see how that championship pans out over the rest of the season. IndyCar, you know, coming into that exciting month of May soon, we're going to have the Grand Prix of Indy, of course, with on the road circuit, and then, of course, the Indianapolis 500, where we're all waiting to see how Fernando Alonso goes, but yeah, as far as IndyCar itself at Long Beach over the weekend, I always love Long Beach, because it's twinned, of course, with the IMSA round as well. So it's like two premier categories coming together. It's like when Supercars is the undercard to F1 <laughs> here in Melbourne. You know, having IMSA, the Endurance Championship, they're twinned with IndyCar. So we had Alexander Rossi again dominate like he did last year, but it was a more dominant performance this year. They're basically blowing Joseph Newgarden and Scott Dixon out of the water. Um, and good preparation coming into the month of May as well. So, you know, in with the Indy 500 and everything, everyone's attention will be on that. And, you know, any form that they show now, you know, it's it's pretty important and important seat time as well before they start doing the their testing and then the qualifying runs and all that sort of stuff heading into the Indy 500, which 
it's not exactly a month away. It's it's the same weekend as Monaco Grand Prix again. I'm pretty sure, which is if that's the case, it's the 26th of um, 26th of May. So still got quite a bit of time. But yeah, all the indie fans, uh, indie car fans out there, probably just itching with excitement to to get into the month of May. So good to see that, and Formula E as well. So they've had five different winners in the first five races, which has been just spectacular I guess just shows you how open that competition is even though the driving standards are pretty poor it has to be said just crashes everywhere it seems and you know it's not like the roster of drivers is a pathetic one they're actually such it's a very talented roster I've said all along and I love how you know we can see those guys that didn't quite get to crack it properly in F1 actually get a proper go in a different championship and racing each other so um, it was Mitch Evans who won the first ever race for Jaguar his first win as well in Formula E the Kiwi um, flying the flag there in that category so good to see him do well because he he made it to GP2 F2 um, and just after that it was like no no real pathway for him into F1 so hence going over to to the Formula E championship and doing well now I guess with that victory under his belt but I think for me it was more happy to see Stoffel van Dorn on the podium so you know poor Stoffel just the way his short spell in F1 to start off his career went you know with McLaren coinciding with their woes and dramas and everything that they had with Honda for the first few years and then last year as well, just the way that um, things just, they weren't really competitive at all and the fact that, yeah, he was another driver that unfortunately had to be axed, you know, like Kevin Magnussen, like um, Sergio Perez before him and now Stoffel van Dorn, another casualty of that. But the fact that he's gone over to Formula E, he's been a popular driver, gets the fan boosting quite a bit. But um, yeah, to have the podium, I guess, vindicates that he is a driver that is capable of competing at the pointy end in whatever category he's in. So, you know, I would love to see Stoffel back in F1 someday. But if, you know, this is the path that yields him success, then so be it, I guess, because, you know, we've seen Alexander Rossi after his little little chance in F1 that he got, not really much of a chance, but regardless, you know, he's gone on to IndyCar and he's achieved already, you know, obviously IndyCar, Indy 500 win, um, first rookie to do so, I think, in a long time, um, and last year finishing runner-up in the championship against Scott Dixon going over to the final race, so, you know, and Marcus Ericsson as well this year has gone over to IndyCar. So if these guys can get an opportunity elsewhere, you know, do it. While F1 still has that lure and is still regarded, I guess, as the ultimate prize or the ultimate drive, I guess, you know, these guys can't just sit around waiting, like, unless you're Esteban Ocon and you're being looked after by Mercedes. Um, yeah, you can find success elsewhere. And, you know, they're still world-class championships. So... Yeah, you know, Brendan Hartley, I think I use as an example of this is even though he didn't have the success in F1 that, you know, we would have liked to have liked to have seen from him, you can't take away the fact that he's a two-time um, world endurance champion for Porsche, 
He's a 24 Hours of Le Mans winner as well and a very accomplished sports car driver. So regardless of what happened last year with Toro Rosso and with Helmut Marco, you're not going to take away from the fact that Hartley is a solid racing driver and has achieved what he has in sports car racing. So, you know, and it's likely that he might spearhead the Porsche Formula E program from next season. So it'd be good to see him there um, doing that. So that's it, I guess, for the racing part of this podcast. I just wanted to quickly end by doing a bit of rugby league, but nothing negative, of course, because, you know, kind of sick to hearing, sick of hearing of all these headlines of court cases and people coming out on social media being racist or homophobic, that sort of stuff. You know, no, it just, it's quite sad. You know, we live in this sort of world now where, these negative headlines do dominate a bit too much. Like, I'm not, for one minute, um, what do you call it, saying, you know, endorsing that sort of thing. Like, you know, there is a line, and if you cross it, there should be consequences, basically. But, yeah, you know, it does get a bit tedious and annoying that when you open your, you open your Twitter one more every morning and it's another it's another instance of a negative headline so talking about rugby league I want to talk about Greg Inglis and how he announced his retirement this week um, from rugby league effective immediately it's it's a pretty sad end to what's been a pretty awesome career you know a legend for the Queensland state of origin legend for the national team as well um for Australia and also for South Sydney, you know, winning that premiership in 2014 um, for the team after such a long drought, leaving, you know, he basically leaves a pretty big gap in the Maroons team for Queensland, of course, with a captaincy and in the centre's position. And just the way this has come about, unfortunately, is the sad thing that, you know, he sort of came into this season with an injury cloud over his head. Everyone was talking about how he's a bit overweight and, He's not looking as fit as he normally is. And under new coach Wayne Bennett as well, he played a couple of games, but then was told to, you know, he needs to get himself fit. He needs to make sure that he's healthy, blah, blah, blah. But just, I guess his body has failed him, you know, and that's the sad thing where you can't actually, I mean, they'll probably say, yeah, it's on his own terms that he's leaving. But you'd like, if it was, you'd almost like him to see out the entire season, which given the state that he's in, unfortunately, wasn't going to happen and we're not going to get that farewell tour that everyone would have liked, especially also on the origin stage too. Queensland have been hit really hard over the last few couple of years with big name retirements, Thurston, Cronk, Slater, Smith and now Inglis, you know, who was the captain last year. So, yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where when that happens, your body fails you in elite sport, you know, there's not much you can do about it, Um, you know, you've just got to sort of remember the good times and remember, you know, all the success that you've had and Inglis has had a lot of success in his career regardless of some some negative things that have happened, you know, we don't need to think about that or talk about that, it's more so celebrating the fact that, you know, he was such an important player, in the Indigenous community as well, such an inspiration to to young players and young people too. And that's probably the thing that I really like about a lot of these 
players like Thurston, like Inglis, you know, that they've got that aura of inspiration around them. You know, again, that whole idea of humility and being humble and everything and what I talked about with guys like Albon in F1 before, you know, they, they've got that sense around them and just true leaders in a way, just they're, they're great leaders from what we see. You, you watch them on TV, you see them out in the park um, if you go see a live game and, you know, you can see that commanding aura around them that they are natural leaders, they're true leaders, they're not, you know, someone who's, you know, just a cow- <laughs> cowardly leaders, dealt with quite a few, <laughs> speaking personally, but, um, you know, just fearless leaders and whatnot and, you know, they really inspire the people around them as well to, to want to strive to that, so, you know, that's where, you know, seeing a big name like Inglis, that's where I, where I say, you know, it's going to leave a big hole, but, you know, we've, in the national team for Australia, you know, we've seen people like Latrell Mitchell come in, basically, who've modelled themselves around Greg Inglis, you know, and it's really good to see that, and for Queensland, I'm sure, you know, there will be someone who else, someone who will come in and fill that void, um, as far as the captaincy is concerned, you know, personally, I'd like to see Michael Morgan get it, you know, obviously from North Queensland, but there's been talk about Daly Cherry Evans in the last couple of days, given that he's had a new lease on life with the Queensland team, and he'd probably be a good pick to actually captain that team. Cameron Munster is another one who could easily do the job. And as far as South Sydney are concerned, Sam Burgess has been named their captain going forward. So, you know, even with Inglis out of the team, they still seem like a formidable lineup. And with Wayne Bennett as the coach, you know, definitely within a premiership window, you know, they've still got a solid lineup. Three of the Burgess boys, Adam Reynolds is always solid. Damien Cook last week, back in form as well. He's gave me a lot of good points in the super coach, I tell you, so you know that if their super coach form is anything to go by, then they are doing quite well, and um, for now, I guess, Braden Burns filling in that um, spot for Inglis, what are they going to do long-term, they've already talked about the potential of, you know, having that money available in their salary cap, could they go after someone like James Roberts from Brisbane, Jimmy the Jet, coming back to... um, partner Wayne Bennett like he did when they were at Brisbane together the last few years um could they lure Latrell Mitchell away from the Roosters potentially you know who's gonna splash the most cash for those guys so yeah a lot of potential there but South Sydney are a great team as it is and you know seeing how they came back last year to being in a position where they could fight for the for the premiership and they went deep into the finals um you know we can expect well, you can expect to see more of that this year, I guess, with a coach like Wayne Bennett at the helm too. So, yeah, you know, sad, of course, to hear about Greg Inglis and all the best for the future. Hopefully he's not lost on the sport as a whole. Like, totally, I can see him in a mentoring role and also potentially if he wanted to do coaching, something like that, you know, it would be really good. But, yeah, you know, at this stage... Um, just want to celebrate the career that he's had and rather than looking at those negative headlines you know and that's what just sort of annoys me a lot you know like yeah we we're all entitled to opinion our own opinion we can voice them in on social media and on platforms like this but at the same time you know 
if we really love these sports and we love these competitions and whatnot, we love them for a reason. We love them because of the positives in them. Yeah, there's going to be negatives. There's going to be days where, you know, you hate what you see or, you know, political decisions have had a negative influence on it. But there's a lot. There's got to be, a, if you really love something, there's got to be a lot the good must outweigh the bad and you know even during with f1 on days where yeah we go through a mercedes ball fest again like we did in china the good always the good things always outweigh the bad you know and i tried to take away the fact that yeah even though they they're dominating again that such is their dominance that yeah they can show off and do double stack pit stops it just you got to praise the quality of the team it's not like they're doing a bad job even with Triple Eight and supercars, like I can't understand why they get so much grief and so much hate on social media from people, um, you know, just for doing a good job. Like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of them them protesting everything. Basically, um, I think the onus is on them to now turn their form around, and it lies solely with them. But I'm not going to slag off about them or slag off to them on social media about it. You know, it's just, it's just silly that. So, yeah, you know, that's just, I guess, the fickle nature of sports and sports fans. Like, I love, I love sport. You know, no matter what, I love talking about sport as I do on this podcast and trying to link it in with what goes on in real life as well as much as I can, just bringing it down to earth. But, you know, at the same time, you know. I don't want to just sit here and moan about everything for an hour every week. I'm sure that's not what you guys want to listen to either. Um, So, yeah, you know, I'm not trying to be a a spin doctor or try to talk things up for no reason. I genuinely see these positive things and, you know, if I do, I'll, I'll talk about them. If not, I'll probably mention why I didn't see a positive in it and not going to do it in a way where I'm like, you guys have got to believe what I say, you know, or you're blah, 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 blah. But anyway, I think that's enough of a rant from me for today. Um, it's good doing this early and earlier in the day, getting it out of the way and feeling a bit more fresh too. So, but yeah, other than that, um, thanks for tuning in this week. A lot of motorsport content to discuss. I hope everyone has a safe and happy Easter. Um, and we'll be back next week to preview Baku and all the other exciting things going on in the world. So thanks for tuning in and remember to follow us on social media and listen to us on iTunes and Spotify. So cheers and see you next time.